You want to keep your hymnals out as we'll be looking at Article 16 of the Belgic Confession tonight, page 860. In the back, page 860. Tonight we turn to the treatment of the biblical doctrine of election. We turn in God's word to the book of Romans, where Paul lays out the truth about humanity and begins there with man's sin, an undeniable part of our history, and many of the differences uh, in the church on this doctrine of election have to deal with that whole doctrine of sin. That is, what, uh, how, how deeply has sin affected mankind? How serious is the effects of, serious are the effects of sin? What has it done uh, as far as separating us from God? How serious is that? And we, we need to begin with the right understanding of the doctrine of sin if we want to see the full glory of God, the greatness of his deeds, as we've read about that already in Psalm 145 tonight. All our sinners deserving of of eternal judgment, as the Bible makes clear, but God is rich in mercy, and he is wondrous in love, providing a righteousness for sinners uh, to be delivered from eternal condemnation. And that righteousness is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we turn. That's where our hope is, as we're going to see tonight. And the one who believes in him finds the full forgiveness of sins. Well, the wonderful expansion of the gospel to the nations is seen in this middle section of the book of Romans. Paul starts out, as I said, with that beginning section, explaining that all alike have sinned and and fall short of the glory of God. No one seeks after him. And then that middle portion of the book of Romans talks about the expansion of the gospel, and there are some objections that he addresses in there, and one of those objections is, what do we do with the promises of God to Israel, uh, to the nation of Israel, to the descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham? Have those promises failed? The reason that objection comes up is because in Paul's day, many of the Jews were rejecting Jesus. They did not see him as Messiah. And so Paul interacts with that question, have God's promises to Israel failed? Many of them are not believing in Jesus Christ at the time, and so Paul interacts with that. And let's listen then to what he says there in Romans chapter 9, the first 21 verses. This is the word of God. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So Paul says, this is, this is the truth. I'm not, I'm not just putting on here. This is, this is truly how I feel. I, I say this before the Lord. Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, for, for those in, in the Lord and the Jews, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And he goes on to speak about what he, uh, how he sees the gospel unfolding to the nations. But we want to f- stop there and then turn to the Belgian Confession, Article 16, looking at that article on the doctrine of election, where we read this. We believe that all, Abra- all Adam's descendants, having thus fallen into perdition and ruin by the sin of the first man, God showed himself to be as he is, merciful and just. He is merciful in withdrawing and saving from this perdition those whom he, in his eternal and unchangeable counsel, has elected and chosen in Jesus Christ our Lord, by his pure goodness, without any consideration of their works. He's just in leaving the others in their ruin and fall into which they plunged themselves. Last Sunday evening, we were looking together, dear people of God, at the, uh, the fact that Uh, All of humanity has fallen in Adam, in his sin. We've inherited the depravity of our first parents. There's no difference between any of the people groups. We all uh, uh, are are under that same judgment for sin. We can't say anyone is any closer to the throne of God than anyone else. We're equally in need of sin. The cross of Christ. Well, tonight we look, about, we look at election. What are we talking about? What is election? Well, as we're looking at it tonight, we're talking about God's electing love in the Lord Jesus Christ, that biblical teaching that God chooses those whom he will save according to his good pleasure. Now, this doctrine takes grace to its logical conclusion that if God uh, saves me without my works, then he must choose me Also, apart from my works. This doctrine is very humbling. You can imagine what the Apostle Paul must have thought. He was this Jew who was striving to be saved by his doing, by his works. And the Lord meets him and and, uh, speaks to him. And he is converted. He's transformed in his thinking. And he realizes that God is the one who saves. And according to his grace and mercy. Now, what does he do? What do you imagine he would do? He would, he would say, well, this is, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. But that isn't what he does. He spends four chapters here in the middle of the book of Romans talking about God's electing love. And then in chapter 11, listen to how he ends his discussion. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It leads him to praise God. He says, how how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And he says, Amen. So let it be. Election leads to praise of God, and that's really all of life. We've, we've looked at that already. We moved on from theology to anthropology, and we saw that when we speak of man and, and, and how he's made in God's image, that all points us back to God. It, it, it's a Godward focus, and really all of life is that way. It's a Godward focus. But election does have a, a, a manward direction. In, in this, it should give us comfort that our election, that our salvation, our redemption is, is in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is something that is secure in him. That ought to comfort us that, that in those days when we, we say things or we do things or we think things that we, oh, I thought I put that behind me, that we're not, that we're not lost because of our sin, but that we're secure in Christ. So it ought to bring us comfort. It ought to have that stirring effect. It ought not to make us indifferent to the things of God and say, well, I'm elect, so who cares what, I, what my view of God is? I just, I just know I have that special position. That's what Paul's arguing here against uh, with the Israelites. They said, well, we have a special position. There's really, you know, we do everything right. We, we have the, the ceremonies. We do all of these, uh, uh, we have all of these laws. And so, of course, we're saved. It's, we're saved because of what, what we do. And Paul says that's not, not what saves a person, what group you're born into. Rather, it is being in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are in him, the previous chapter, Romans 8, verse 33, Paul says this, if, if in Christ, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who, who can bring any charge? For God is the one who justifies Who is the one who can condemn? Who's the one that can say to God, your righteousness is not sufficient to save this person? And God says, the righteousness I provide is perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God and the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says, Romans 8, 39. As we transition then in the Belgic Confessions treatment uh, to the doctrine of Christ, redemption comes into view. We're going to be looking at Christ and, and who he is and where redemption comes into view. How are we saved? There are many aspects of God's saving work. There's certainly regeneration. There's repentance and faith. There are many aspects of it. But here we look at the, the heart of the matter before the foundation of the world, before the earth's foundations were laid. God has elected us to his glory in keeping with his grace and mercy. It's not a cold, deterministic do- uh, decree. He saves us in the beloved. Listen to how Paul praises God. Another time where he praises God, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. It doesn't, it doesn't strike him as, as something to be proud and arrogant with. He, he glories in God. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 1, 3-6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He's the one who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. There's the... There's the The emphasis, not being indifferent, but unto holiness, to blamelessness. In love, he predestined us for adoption 
as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's that wonderful uh, praise that Paul gives as he thinks upon God's delight to save sinners and his, his decree to do so and his work to accomplish that redemption. Now, the article is rather short, Article 16, because we think to ourselves, oh, i got so many questions about election. How does it all work? And who's saved and who's not saved? And how does this work? Well, many have said the, the, the article is, is, its shortness ought to say something to us. We ought not to try to pry into God's decree of election and say, well, how does it all work? How, how does he determine this and determine that? It's very clear in Scripture. He does it according to his good pleasure, keeping with his grace and mercy, and his justice, as we're going to hear tonight. We're not to give either the impression that election is just as well. It's just this, it, just, it is what it is. It's just determined, and so just accept it. There is an aspect of it which, which ought to uh, uh, r- remind us again that election is unto salvation, and how is it that one is saved? By hearing the word of God. There's an evangelistic aspect to this. We don't know who the elect are, And therefore, we ought to be proclaiming the gospel. And God's elect might be brought in. They might hear the word, believe. We don't simply sit back and wait for God to reveal his elect. We proclaim the word. God calls people everywhere to respond to the word and faith. We're reminded that salvation is all of God. There's no room for boasting. Paul uh, interacts with that a bit here in Romans 9. He acknowledges the glorious heritage of the Israelites, verses 4 and 5, and they certainly would have resonated with that. They're proud of that. They do have the adoption, the, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is to come the Christ, and they did not recognize that Christ had come. They certainly would have said, yes, that's us. That, that's, that's our group. Proud of the fact that they could trace themselves, trace their name back to Abraham, yet verses 6 and 7 tell us that there's an Israel within Israel. Verses 6 and 7 remind, or tell us that there is a misunderstanding among the Jews. Though God made covenant with Israel out of the nations, not all of them will be saved. God promised to be the God of Abraham's descendants, his seed, but natural descent did not automatically grant salvation. Paul says that Abraham is the father of believers, Romans 4, verse 16. The head of the family made up of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who, by God's grace, see their sin, repent of it, and believe in him. And desire to live for the Lord. And the greatness of this new covenant is that the promise of salvation is extended beyond Israel. Entrance into salvation is not by birth, but by faith. And Paul supports this in verses 7 to 13. He calls into question the Jews' understanding. In verses 7 to 9, he says this, Their descent from Abraham did not mean salvation for them. Ishmael and Isaac both descended from Abraham. 
But Ishmael is not elect, and Isaac is. That according to God's gracious work. Now, before we look at the next example, children, just we need to be aware of this, that being born into a Christian home doesn't automatically mean one is saved. There's a call to believe, to express personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's not just a faith of your parents. You say, well, I'm going to get in because my parents are good people. Rather, it's a call that what do you, what do you, what is your view of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you understand who he is, what he's come to do? It's called a personal profession of faith. Salvation is the Lord's work. Paul goes on, Jacob and Esau shared the same father and mother, but Esau wasn't elect. God promised that Jacob would be preeminent before the twins were born. His his will determines destiny. Jacob was younger, as we know, that would have been contrary to what they would have expected, that the older would be the one who received the blessing, and the Lord says, no, the older will serve the younger. God shows that he doesn't work according to human reasoning, nor is he bound by our way of thinking. So as we think about elections, background, we see that it starts, it's very interesting how the Belgic Confession deals with it. It starts not with a list, in the list of the number of decrees, it begins by looking at, at sin. It, it, it sets before us this reality of sin. We believe that all Adam's descendants have thus fallen into perdition and ruined by the sin of the first man. That's where it, that's where it sets, uh, that's what's set before us. Therefore, Our hope for redemption is not in ourselves. That's the proper foundation. That's where we begin so that we might look to the right place for help in our time of need. The biblical doctrine teaches two of God's eternal attributes, not to the exclusion of his others, but to these in particular, his mercy and justice. God is merciful and God is just. We see both those aspects in Article 16. We want to look then at God's mercy in election. We see God's mercy clearly revealed in election. Verse 15, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. What's going on behind this? Well, Paul's anticipating that there's going to be an objection to God's gracious election of sinners to salvation. Is there injustice on God's part, he's raising the question that some have. Well, is, is God unjust to do things the way he does it? And he says, by no means. For God declares it is of his mercy. God's election of Jacob over Esau is not unique. The truth goes back to God's word. It goes, the truth is also found in God's word to Moses. God speaks for himself there when he says... That all that he does is in keeping, in this context of the people of God, with his mercy. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I've made this distinction here before, but maybe it's good to just be reminded. Grace and mercy, we talk about those almost interchangeably, but grace is giving us something that we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding from us what we do deserve. God withholds from us or, or, or mercifully does not give us what we deserve, which is condemnation. He graciously gives us eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, there's a couple of things I want to. There's five things here in this article that I want us to think about as we that we learn about election. First, election is by grace alone. Grace means being favored by God, though we don't merit it. You've heard that that little acronym. Grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? Gospels offered freely in Christ. It doesn't cost us our death. It demands Christ's death for the satisfaction of God's righteousness, and we believe in Him. And we are brought to God, God's riches at Christ's expense. God chooses to give man what he doesn't deserve. He's free to do that. Why do we, why do we struggle with grace? Well, we're, we're, we're fine with grace when it's given to us. But there are other times where we want, we heard it this morning, and we hear it, it's just how we operate. Well, what, how? Why am, I, why am I being given this? I must have done something. There, there must be something there. Jesus taught parables about it, didn't he? He talked about the laborers who came into the field. And what happened? They get The ones that came the 11th hour were receiving the same amount of money that those who worked through the heat of the day. And the, the laborers were upset. And the, and the master says, am I not permitted to, to do what, I, what I've chosen to do? And, and Jesus is saying, is God not able to, to save those who, who, who maybe didn't grow up in the church, to say it, put it that way, who didn't grow up in the church, along with those who have grown up in the church? We say, well, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I should at least be closer to the front of the line because I've been in the church my whole life. They, they came late. Well, isn't that, doesn't that even make sense? Isn't that? And Paul says, when the scriptures say, it's all of grace. There's no, there's no, there, there's no one better or, or, or uh, more deserving of salvation. It's all of grace. Whoever's there. We have other faulty notions like, well, God chose me because I work harder than most people. Or I'm better than, I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm gooder than most people, right? I, I do more good. I'm better. No, it doesn't work that way. These reveal a misunderstanding of our, of, the, of, of our understanding of the source of our election. Election unto salvation is of grace. God chooses us in Christ. Well, secondly, to say, to say that our election is by grace is also to say it's not by works. Verse 16. So then, Paul says, just to be clear, so you understand, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And Peter Debray writes that, and here he says it's apart from works. It's apart from anything. Um, any consideration of our works, top of page 861 there in the back of our hymnals. They, God doesn't say, well, this one, I looked ahead and saw that they were going to, to do good for me, and so I elected them. God didn't elect me, he didn't elect you, because he knew all along you would choose him. God doesn't choose based upon foreseen faith. In fact, he elects unto faith. He elects so that we might believe that he might regenerate. Behind that doctrine of election is the great biblical theme of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now, I'm dating myself here, perhaps, and, and, but there are some of you who are my age and above. You know the sound of music, right? And you know the song of uh, Maria von Trapp. She's having a, a reflection on her, on her good um, outcome with, with uh, Captain. See, now it trying to remember how all the names, but what is she saying? She says, uh, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good, right? 
That makes sense. I mean, why, why are good things happening? Because somewhere I must have, I'm getting rewarded for something that I've done. We have that mindset, but we're not to be singing that song uh, about ourselves, but rather we ought to be singing the songs uh, of, of Scripture, of the goodness and grace and mercy of God. It is God who elects apart from works. Well, thirdly, to say the election is by grace is also to say that God does not have to save anyone. That's the reality of it. We don't like to hear it that way. We don't want to sit with that for too long, but he doesn't have to save anyone. He's not in need of, of saving people so that he might somehow fulfill himself. We've looked at that already in the nature of God. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, any need, any shortage. He's not saving us because he lacks in himself. He saves us completely. According to his good pleasure, we don't deserve what he has done for us. A story is told of a man in Napoleon's army where he had committed two capital crimes. He's condemned, he's committed or convicted of them, and he's condemned to die. And as the mother of this man comes to Napoleon and says, you need, to, you need to show him mercy. And Napoleon says, he doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, well, it wouldn't be mercy if it was deserved. He understood that he, she was asking him to do something that she couldn't expect him to do, and yet she was hoping that he would be merciful. God is merciful. If it was deserved, she said to him, it would not be mercy. Now, fourthly, election is by God's counsel or decree. God chooses according to his purpose and his plan. Ephesians 1.9, Ephesians 1.11, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. We saw that, Romans 9, verse 15. This decree is eternal. It's unchangeable. It doesn't make us indifferent or change our relationship to the Lord and how we ought to live, but we simply recognize that before the foundation of the earth was laid, God chose his elect and he keeps his own. We talk of that golden chain of salvation there in Romans 8. He says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is how God works. He begins and ends his work in his eternal decree for his glory. And then lastly, fifthly, in his mercy, God chooses particular persons. He doesn't just lay it out there. Well, it's, it's there for the, for the taking. Those who will believe, it's making salvation possible. No, he elects particular people. Jesus dies for his sheep, for the church. There's a specificity to it. There's a definite article there. There's a personal pronoun there. God chooses particular people. He elects men and women, boys and girls, for his glory. Not leaving it there wondering if anything is going to ever come of his, we might say, hope of salvation. No, he decrees salvation and he accomplishes it. Well, election also reveals his justice. End of this article. He is just in leaving Others in their ruin and fall into which they have plunged themselves. There's a personal responsibility for sin. Many Christians don't like this part of, even many Christians don't like this part of the doctrine of election because it doesn't seem fair to them. Why does he elect some and not unto salvation and elect others unto condemnation? Let's be careful when we start to say to God, well, I find this truth objectionable, and I don't think it should be this way. Paul warns about that. 
speaking back to God. And here we acknowledge some mystery in this doctrine of election. There is a mystery to it. God's election unto salvation and unto damnation is mysterious. The Bible tells us that salvation is by his sovereign work. The Bible also tells us that sinners are reckoned guilty for not turning to God and therefore they justly receive condemnation, responsible for their actions. We can't see into the mind of God on this, but the teaching of God on this is clear. He shows grace to some, leading to new life and salvation. He leaves others in their sinful state and to live freely in their open rebellion against him. Now, where does this teaching leave us? Well, it leaves us, it ought to lead us, leave us in a very humble state before the Lord and a very thankful posture towards him. Humble because we are not better than others and thankful that God in Christ has not left us in our sin. There's no room for pride or reckless arrogance here. We go back to the objection, verse 14, is God unjust or unjust? Is there injustice in God? Paul says, by no means. God's never unjust in any of his actions. Douglas Moo makes this comment on this whole matter when he says this, God's hardening does not cause spiritual insensitivity to the things of God in persons. It maintains people in the state of sin that already characterizes them. Well, how are we to understand God's passing by? Well, that's, that's a mystery to us. We can only submit ourselves to the word of God, which warns us, don't be those who take God's grace lightly or who turn away from it. Don't take lightly God's call to repent and believe lest you perish. Indeed, it is of great importance. Our need for deliverance is crystal clear in Scripture. God's amazing love is equally clear. What must the sinner do? Repent and believe. Jesus says, lest you perish. Remember that portion of Luke 11 where the tower falls on those individuals and the people are asking, well, what did they do to deserve this? And Jesus simply says, repent, lest you likewise perish. Be ready for that day whenever it comes, that final day. That's the call. Not, well, what do I need to do in order to get in that right place? Or that certainly couldn't happen to me because I've done enough good things or I've, I've done this or done that. No, it's crying out to God for grace and mercy. Giving thanks to God that in Christ he has graciously loved us. Humbly walking with him that we might make much of him. People of God, it is by grace that we are in the family of God. It is by God's grace that we can sing his praises and offer thanksgiving to him. And that is what we're called to do. We are elect unto the bearing of much fruit. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you might go and bear much fruit. That ought to be our prayer here, that God in his electing love might receive the praise that we then might go and bear much fruit to his glory. Amen. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we do stand 
in awe and humility before this doctrine of election, we pray that we would not become proud in it. Thinking, well, it's because of this that I'm elect or that. We recognize it as all of grace. It's according to your good pleasure. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be those who are bearing much fruit. And as we have been chosen by you, we don't simply say, well, now do your work, Lord, but rather that we would be disciplined in our living, wanting to show that you matter in our lives, that when you speak, we are ready to listen. When you command, we are ready to obey. And I pray for these, your people here and for myself that we would be such servants, that we would be those who give ourselves and not waiting to be served but that we would be serving. As we go out this week in all of our different directions, some of us traveling far away, we pray that you would protect and keep and, again, cause us to live in such a way that your work in us might be seen, even as we rejoice in this fact that our sins have been taken away by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, we pray, for his sake. Amen.